welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. President Trump and his attorney Rudy Giuliani claim that the president can pardon himself, but Giuliani says Trump is still willing to be interviewed in the special counsel's Russia investigation. He spoke on CNN's Cuomo Primetime. President Trump wants to be interviewed. Right. I hope because that's true. He believes he is innocent. He says to me, I didn't do anything wrong. I hope I that's true. You didn't do anything wrong, but the world isn't that simple. I hope and the that's true. The criminal justice system isn't as fair as you think. Joining me is Brad Moss, a partner at Mark Said. Brad, Trump has started yet another legal controversy over whether a president can pardon himself. In a legal opinion that was issued four days before President Richard Nixon stepped down, the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel concluded the president can't pardon himself, although other legal experts say he can. What's your opinion? Oh, I stand by the DOJ's view that the president can't pardon himself. The concept that any one person can be both judge, jury, and quote-unquote executioners, just anathema to our entire uh, system of government and our entire criminal justice system. So the, 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 the mere concept that the president could somehow commit a crime and then pardon himself and allow himself to keep going on just doesn't stand with our constitutional republic. And the only reason we're talking about this, you know, I know the president likes to complain that we all, we all focus on the Russia probe. The only reason we're talking about this is because the president and his circuits keep mouthing off on television with really dangerous and unnecessary self-forced, unforced errors. And this is just another one of them. Past presidents Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton did not, according to reports, even consider having, you know, pardoning themselves. Is Trump laying the groundwork to push the limits of presidential power, or is this a negotiation strategy? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a good question, and it might be a little bit of both. I mean, look, Donald Trump has a very broad view of executive authority. He tends to take the position that the uh, Article Two authority granted him by the Constitution is as powerful and plenary as he can make it, and that's just his style of leadership anyways. So the idea that he might take the, uh, the view that the DOJ's analysis was wrong and he could pardon himself, I can't view that as out of their own possibilities. But in the end, yeah, he's the ultimate salesman, the ultimate negotiator. This is likely just part of his tactic in terms of how he's negotiating with Mueller and ultimately with uh, possible impeachment individuals later on. So that's, I think, where this is really leading to. Some headlines now, and that is that we know that President Trump is going to the G7, and he is expected to meet with the Prime Minister of Canada, Trudeau, there. Again, Trudeau says that he expects that he will meet with Trump at the G7. Turning now to the trial of former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort, the special counsel has accused him of attempting to tamper with witnesses. Tell us more about the accusations here. Yeah, so what the uh, government's motion laid out in the affidavit from the relevant agency official is that shortly after being indicted for the second time, Mr. Manafort reached out to certain individuals who were part of his lobbying campaign in Europe uh, about six, seven years ago, and he tried to start coordinating and syncing up testimony. Now, that on its own isn't an issue, but the problem became that he tried to start hinting at a certain line of testimony that the people he was discussing this with knew to be false. And those individuals appear to have ratted him out and provided these communications to the government. 
and the government has viewed that as an attempt to suborn perjury, attempt to force or coerce false testimony from these individuals who would be providing relevant testimony in the end. This is a very serious charge. It could, it's almost likely, so it's almost certain that he's going to have his bail revoked and wind up in prison until at least his trial in September and July. Really, it's almost certain because that's going to be there's June 15th has been set by the judge as the hearing date, and you think that it that he'll have his his uh, bail revoked, which he has fought hard for. Correct. I mean, I, I personally, if the allegations are viewed as persuasive by the judge, I can't envision an alternative scenario of home confinement that would eliminate the risk of him trying this again, because it's not just that he himself did it. He went through intermediaries. I mean, you have to cut him off from any communication device ever, as well as anyone else in his house. You have to take away all devices from his from his wife, from his kids, I mean, grandkids, anybody. You know, it would be just ridiculous at that point. I mean, I don't think that's really a, an option he'd want to take at, at that point. Anyways, I think at that point, it just becomes confinement in prison for as long as it takes to get to trial. So, would this have been discovered if there wasn't such a focus on Manafort and there were, weren't so many resources of the FBI and the and the prosecutor devoted to this case? It's possible. You never quite know, you know, with any if it was just a garden variety case, if they would have been able to have kept track of all this and have had whatever, you know, various methods of uh uh, data collection that they're using through search warrants and uh, wiretaps, whatever has been authorized by the courts, obviously the full extent of which we don't know. We don't know if the individuals would have come forward in a garden variety case. But that's a, that aside, the fact that Paul Manafort was reckless enough to even try this, given all the focus he knows is on him, given that he already knows that his emails have been searched, his records have been searched, that there's wiretaps that have already been authorized, that was just plain stupid by any you know analysis. So being in prison might give him a different outlook than he's had as he has fought off any attempts to, you know, to turn to make a plea deal. Correct. I mean, and, and that's, the, uh, that's the ultimate thing is, I mean, Paul Manafort has lived the high life since the 80s. He has, he has consulted and lobbied for presidents and for premiers and any number of people overseas. He's lived with a very, you know, high salary, high net, high net worth, and yet significant assets, if he finds himself now just prisoner number XYZ in a federal penitentiary, that might be a sobering moment for him. And that might kind of be the straw that breaks the camel's back here to make him consider a plea deal and to cooperate with Mueller's team. So, Brad, what happens next? Just about 30 seconds Uh, here. Yeah, the uh, Manafort's team has to file a response by the end of this week. There's going to be a hearing next week on this. The judge is going to make a decision. Probably on probably that day at the hearing on whether or not to revoke the bail. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see what their response is because the special counsel has so seems to have so much documentation of this. Oh, it's always great to have you on, Brad. That's Brad Moss. He's a partner in Marcus Aid. 
Griffin has found an unusual and perhaps sham way to avoid challenges to the patents of a blockbuster drug. It's bought protection and American Indian tribe's sovereign immunity. Rival drug companies are challenging Allergan's transfer of its patents for the dry eye drug Restasis to the St. Regis Mohawk tribe. And Monday at oral arguments, judges at the top patent court in the country questioned whether Allergan was trying to circumvent review by the Patent and Trademark Office. Joining me is Shuba Ghosh, director of the Syracuse Intellectual Property Law Institute. Shuba, I think we need a little background here. Why does Allergan want to avoid review by the Patent Office preferring a trial? Uh, thank you for having me on, first of all. The, the main issue here are new procedures within the Patent Office that were introduced in 2011 that allow uh, somebody to challenge a patent and uh, question its validity. And these procedures have really struck down a lot of patents in the last uh, six or seven years. And so a lot of patent donors have been uh, wary about them and prefer to take their chances in the courts. So the Justice Department lawyer called Allergan's tactics a shell game. Judge Timothy Dyke asked if renting or buying the tribe's protection is problematic. Does Allergan admit that the only reason it made this deal was to circumvent the system? I mean, all of those are loaded terms. Uh, I, I mean, I'm trying to be a little bit neutral here. Um, I, tribal sovereign immunity is something that does exist. And I think Allergan found a way to make a deal with the tribes so that was beneficial to both sides. In other words, the tribes could get the benefit of the patent and Allergan could provide some additional protection for its patents that, uh, as far as we know now, are permitted within the law. I mean, the, the rulings of the court might, might shift that depending on where they come out. So what I, what I mean is Allergan basically said it's legal and we did it, but is there another reason besides getting the tribe's sovereign immunity that it would make this deal? Uh, that's, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think you'd ultimately have to ask the company. Uh, there might be some, uh, some advantages in striking these deals and working with, with, uh, with the tribes, but most likely the main advantage that it's getting is, is, is the sovereign immunity. So now critics of this move say that it can cause problems down the road. It could sort of um, infect the patent system. Explain what the problems might be if this is affirmed or rather well, if this Congress is allowed. Did, sure. Congress did allow, create a system in 2011 to challenge the validity of patents. I think there was a, a general concern that uh, patents had to be given more strict review, uh, even though the USPTO does do a thorough review in deciding whether to grant the patent, uh, those procedures are often done without the uh, participation of other interested parties. And so what's at stake in this case are these procedures that have been established by Congress, that have been, you know, they're, they're controversial, but I think in general there's been, the benefits have been positive to basically allow certain reviews of, of patents. And so if this is affirmed, if this is allowed, then uh, we might see more of these deals being made. Uh, again, there's a question of how much of those are possible to be made, and when they're, they're both downsides and upsides to these types of deals. But it may be a way to get around the kind of systems for reviewing patents that Congress created in 2011. Other tribes have reached similar agreements with tech, comp with, um, 
to avoid uh, tech companies' patents like Apple's and, and Microsoft. Would the court be considering the possible effect to the whole patent system when it considers this? Well, I hope so. I mean, I think uh, this is not just isolated deals. Uh, there are the technical legal issues about whether Allergan and the Mohawk tribe are working within what the law allows, but there definitely are some uh, adverse consequences that the court should consider and I think will consider. They already have been surfacing in the oral arguments, as you referred to earlier. So two of the judges at the uh, U.S. Federal Court of Appeals, um, the patents seem to be uh, sort of on the side of the, the those who are opposing the Allergan deal. What did you see that stood out to you? Well, I think a lot of these issues have been percolating uh, since the deal was uh, was publicized, you know, last fall. I think the main question is, uh, when has uh, a tribe waived its sovereign immunity? And tribal immunity tends to be a fairly um, uh, arcane and robust concept. It's, it's fairly controversial, especially as it arises with respect to uh, criminal investigations and uh, the, basically the sovereignty and the independence of the tribe in reaching certain decisions. But in this particular context, uh, I think there, there is a concern as to whether by taking the economic advantage of the patent system, which the, the tribes have by receiving money uh, in exchange in, as part of these deals, whether they have effectively waived their immunity. Uh, in other words, they basically have entered the patent system and they can't pick and choose you know, what they can have enforced against them. So is a narrower ruling possible here instead of going to the entire issue of sovereign immunity? Is there narrow? Is the is it possible that the court will make a narrower decision? It's, it's possible, but I think you know sovereign immunity tends to be an all or nothing uh, 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 venture, and so it's hard to see how they could narrow it uh, beyond just simply finding that there has been a waiver under these circumstances. I think. Uh, I think courts generally have avoided a broad ruling by just simply saying that uh, since a sovereign entity exists in a market economy, they've waived their immunity. It's been a lot more specific than that. So I think the, the final ruling, if the court does find against immunity, might be based on the particularities of this, of this deal. So among the companies that have filed arguments against Allergan are Microsoft and a tech companies that include Google, Amazon, and Oracle. Mm -hmm. Explain what, what their arguments were and, and what their concerns are. Well, this is, this is getting at a little bit of, of an ongoing debate in the patent system between uh, pharma, pharmaceutical companies and software companies. You know, pharmaceutical companies typically have tried to be very protective of their patents and have been very, uh, very wary of, of, of devices or mechanisms that Congress may have created or the USPTO may have created that puts patents under close scrutiny. Uh, the software and the IT sectors, however, uh, <coughs> in general, are a bit more wary of patents. Um, there's a lot more uh, discussion in that, in that industry about whether patents uh, on software and information technologies do more harm than good. And so they would be in favor of, um, of systems that would give more scrutiny to patents and really be very skeptical of, of, of things like this, where they try to avoid uh, the mechanisms that Congress has created. All right. Thanks so much. The Federal Circuit is expected to make 
a pretty fast decision after hearing the arguments yesterday. That's Shuba Ghosh, director of the Syracuse Intellectual Property Law Institute. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.